You're listening to the Newborn Promise Podcast, a production of Graham Blanchard Incorporated. This is episode four, Adoption After the Kids Are Grown. For today's transcript, show notes, and more information on your Newborn Promise project, please visit GrahamBlanchard.com. Welcome back to the Newborn Promise Podcast. We are wrapping up our last adoption interview today with Dale and Tammy Heim, and I know you won't be disappointed. Their story is unique, and I know that as I describe their current life stage, it may not initially seem relatable to many of our listeners. However, I really want to encourage you not to skip this episode if you are planning on becoming a parent, despite your age or how you choose to grow your family. As I listened to their testimony, I realized that this episode is less about age or life circumstances and more about the extraordinary invitation, as Tammy will put it so eloquently later, to choose something larger than ourselves. In fact, to make the choice to die to ourselves, to parent selflessly, to parent in God's strength and not our own. In our book, Your Newborn Promise Project, we start with a chapter on love and what true godly love really looks like. And Callie Grant says it so beautifully. When you devote yourself to loving God, He uses your acts of service and sacrifice to unlock your self-absorption and transform you. In their 50s, Dale and Tammy were close to retirement, becoming grandparents and looking forward to a slower pace. But when God decided to step in and rewrite their script through mission efforts to Haiti, Dale and Tammy bravely accepted a new adventure, a new calling, and a new life into their home. Dale and Tammy, you both got started in mission efforts a little later in life. Tell me about how you got involved in Haiti. I have to say it all started through our church. Um, Back in 2009, the church was engaged in a major capital campaign, and part of that capital campaign included uh, support and building orphanages in Haiti. And so we were captivated by that. Um, just everything that we were learning about the work that we were going to do there. And we immediately felt called to be part of it. But then an interesting thing happened in 2010, there was the major earthquake in Haiti. And it pretty much changed the original plans of the church. And instead of taking children from Jeremy, orphans from Jeremy, where we were building the orphanage, there was a, just a huge movement and encouragement to take children who had lost parents from Port-au-Prince. So we agreed to do that. And by June, the orphanage was up and running, and it was a wonderful opportunity now for teams to go in and serve. And Dale and I had the amazing blessing of being the very first ministry team to go in. The medical team had been there the year before. The kids were in tough, tough shape. Um, But we were among a very small team that really got to go in, love on the kids, and begin to talk to them about Jesus. So that started what I consider a pretty 
epic, life-changing journey for us. You have both taken several Christmas trips to Haiti, and many years this was your gift to one another instead of giving traditional gifts. Do you guys mind sharing your heart behind that? Well, um, again, first going, we met children, and we met children that touched our hearts, and you know, we saw the depravity of, of their situation, but we also saw a great joy that they had, and they touched us with that joy, and we wanted to share some of the love of Christ through just giving presents during the Christmas time. So Cammie and I were able to lead a trip during uh, the following Christmas, and we took lots of little toys, not not big presents, but little things, and we had found out during the process of handing those presents out that for many of those children, it was the very first Christmas that they that they had ever experienced. And they would tell us that uh, Papa Noel, which is Santa Claus, usually just passes over uh, Haiti. And so we were able to share with them some gifts and really emphasize the fact that we give gifts because Jesus had given us the greatest gift of all. And honored to build on that. Um, as we were doing that, all of a sudden, you know, just gave us a whole new sense of gratitude. And so uh, for the past six years, uh, we've given up our holiday time so that we could go and we consider those trips to Haiti, not only a time to bless the children, but also um, our gift to each other. Um, We spent uh, a lot of anniversaries. In fact, we spent our 30th anniversary in Haiti, and it just seemed like the place that we wanted to be that... um, you know, the, the traditional thing that you would do to celebrate those special occasions were no longer as special as being able to invest and be present to those children. So together, you guys have taken over 30-plus trips to Haiti, which is amazing to work with these orphans. Through all of those trips, what have been some of the biggest spiritual lessons that God has taught you? Well, clearly, our lives have been deeply impacted by um, what we've seen and what we've what we've experienced there, uh, and as we've taken other trips, people often go and they think, "Well, I'm going to go do a great thing for these kids," and then they're broken and they're humbled, and they feel that they have in fact done nothing, but the children have done everything for them. It's just part of God's love and economy. Um, for us, it's the deep the the deepening of these relationships with the children. It's easy to sign up for a mission trip and say, I'm going to go and I'm going to experience this. And you have it. And before Dale and I took this, and again, we didn't start doing a mission trip. I mean, this was our first trip, mission trip, and we're over our 50, over 50. We just said, God, we don't want to go on a mission trip, be all excited going, then go be deeply moved and then come back and be the same. So we asked God to profoundly change our hearts. And he honored that. And literally the experience and the relationships that we've built with the children there and as we've watched them grow, it's changed everything about the way we give, the way we live, and definitely the way we love. And I know a huge part of the way God began to move when you guys took these trips is he began to speak to you about one little girl in particular. Tell me about that. 
Well, we were preparing for a Christmas trip, and I was working with the team at our church, and it just so happened that there were a couple of families that had been deeply touched by some of the children there, so much so that they were compelled to go through the adoption process, obviously much younger than we are. And we had never thought about adoption, but we thought, well, if one day there was a way that maybe there could be visas that would allow children to come over and be educated, that we'd be all in. In fact, I remember walking our house and saying, we could put seven kids in our bonus room. We could turn this into, you know, a, a great room, a great dorm. And so our mind was in a total different place. But when I went into what I thought was a meeting to plan the mission trip, uh, I was presented with an extraordinary invitation about one little girl in particular who the adoption process had begun and had fallen apart and that they were prayerfully seeking who might step in for her. And I had known her because every time I'd gone, she'd been part of the little group that uh, tended to hang with me. So I knew her, but candidly, I was shocked. And it was almost a Sarah moment in that I laughed and I said, oh, obviously you don't realize how old I am. And the response was, no, I know how old you are. And then I said, well, but we don't have any children at home. And they said, well, we believe that this little girl would do best if she could have undivided attention and be the only child at home. And I was stunned, but then I went home and shared that with my husband. And that really began a journey of prayer. I don't think for me, it was ever a no. It was more really. And you know, I characterize it as that crisis of faith where there's an extraordinary invitation that's offered and you have to make a decision. Am I going to do this? And do I trust God? And in doing this, what does it say about what I believe about him? And Dale, what was your initial reaction to this proposal? I think I had the same reaction that Tammy had. I chuckled and said, yeah, you got to be kidding me. And um, I I thought about it and said, really, there's no practical way to do that because we we had so many children there that called us mommy and daddy. And so how could we just adopt one child? So at first it was like, no, it's just not something that we should do. But I did commit to pray about it. And as we committed to pray, God revealed to my heart that this was this child's only opportunity. And how could we say no? The only reason that we could say no is for selfish reasons. So as as God started to work on me, um, uh, it really changed my heart to say that, why not? Why can't we do this? We just need to provide the opportunity for this child, and God can do the rest. So Uh, It was a process of prayer that God actually changed my heart. After we both got over being in shock, and we made that trip to Haiti uh, just a month or so after this all came up, on the way home, there was no question uh, in our minds that this was something that God was ordaining for our life and that we were going to move ahead. Let's back up a bit from that certainty of this is really what we know God is calling us to do. Did either one of you have any initial fears or concerns about adoption? 
Yeah, I think uh, in particular, I had some fears. I had some fears that this child would not even like me because although Sonia was a part of Tammy's group, she never was a part of my group. So um, the fear was is that she wouldn't like me and that if she doesn't like me, then or if she didn't like me, then that was really a no, no go. So in this trip that Tammy mentioned that we went on, um, I was determined to just find her and have some interaction with her to see if, if she liked me at all. And the interesting thing was is when we got off the bus on this particular trip, the kids that I usually hang with grabbed my hand and started to lead me down to their house. And I said, wow, this is weird. And it so happened that as we crossed the bridge, there Sonia was on the bridge. And I just thought, my. So I picked her up and I put her on my shoulders and said, hey, Sonia. Uh, And she basically hung with me the whole week, enjoyed the little uh, peanuts that I had for her and just was a joy to be with. And to me, that was just God speaking to my heart that there is not that excuse that she doesn't like you, that she likes you and could grow to love you. And Tammy, how about you? Did you have any specific fears about adoption? I would say that there was that feeling because we have an older daughter that's 31 and we have two grandsons. And for me, uh, although I try not to dwell on it, but just doing the math, just thinking about, I know we can provide for her today. And I know that we can give her a much better life than she has. And um, that obviously we're part of her destiny, but just thinking about getting older and the energy that it takes uh, to go back and have a young child in your home. I mean, you know, you hear grandparents often talk about, oh, we love being grandparents. We have the kids, but then we can, you know, then we get to rest. And um, it just requires a lot of energy and good health and stamina to be able to do that. So being Again, much in that place of saying, God, I just have to trust you that this is what you need to be. Are, are we able to run this race? Despite your fears, just tell me how God continued to confirm and encourage you guys along the way. Well, it's really interesting. I think the greatest moments of encouragement came at the point it was the most, or it appeared to be the most impossible. So, um, I mean, I would say this for anyone in going through an adoption process, um, has a a stamina and endurance all to itself. And so, because Haiti as a country was going through transition, they were a non-Hague country and they were moving into that. Um, The U.S. Embassy was becoming much more involved in investigation around adoption. So, not only is it hard in that country, but it became harder because of the transition in the way that they were doing adoptions. So there were several points throughout the adoption where we were told it's over. It can't happen. You know, you didn't make this hurdle or they changed the law and they said, well, people over 50 can't adopt without presidential dispensation. I mean, there just seemed to be these huge mountains that would appear And we would stand back and only God could move them. Like there wasn't anything we could do. We would be just ultimately helpless and hitting a wall and just saying, okay, God, did you, 
were you, was this a test to see if we would, what would you happen? And then literally doors would open in miraculous ways that was just constantly a nod. Even Andra to the very last few days before we brought her home, um, there was a point where we thought we may never see her again because of a holdup in the U.S. Embassy and some work that they were doing. And again, people interceding all around, and God made it so. I am Audra Haney, and you are listening to the Newborn Promise Podcast, a production of Graham Blanchard Incorporated. One unique aspect of Dale and Tammy Himes' adoption of their little girl, Sonia, was that they had a longer-than-average wait time. When they began the process, Sonia was three and a half years old, and it wouldn't be until she was seven years old that they were able to bring her home. We asked Tammy what she learned in the waiting. For me, um, God just did a huge move in my heart. Um, She, at the time, was in the transition home when we were staying there, and Every time we were with her, it was always so hard to leave her. And I was like, Lord, can't, can't, eat, can't we bring her home? I want to bring her home. And God just stopped me mid-prayer. And all of a sudden, just said, my timing's perfect. Find me in the waiting. And I remember I was lying in bed. There was this, the moon was coming in the window, and I could see her little profile. She was all cuddled up to me. And I said, that's right. In my waiting, I am missing God. And his timing's perfect. So what is it that I need to know? What is it in my heart he needs to do? What is he doing in her heart to prepare both of us for that moment and when she came in? And it changed everything, Audra. All of a sudden, I was present to the moment we were in. I was savoring the moment that we were in and making that moment a memory that would be part of our story, part of her story forever. So it's just accepting. and then. The the side note to that is you wait a long time. It's not easy. But once the child comes home, it's like that's a blackboard that gets erased. You don't ever remember how long and hard it was. I mean, you can talk about it, but you're so in the now. It's like all of that vanishes. I love that. And with that hard waiting period over and now having the joy of having Sonia in your home, she's 10 years old now. Can you tell me a bit about her today? Well, she is she is the joy of our life. I mean, right now, she is such a joy. Um, not to say that there aren't challenges, because living in an orphanage, um, not having the love that a child deserves at a young age, not having the attention, not having really enough food to eat, um, does have an effect, and there's challenges that come with that. But but we can see such a, a spirit within her, a joyful spirit, and it's just wonderful to be a part of that. And we thank God every every day that we can participate in that. The the one thing about Sonia, too, is high energy. And I think that was probably why it was so shocking when people realized that we were adopting her, because she has so much energy, so much potential. Uh, she's a survivor. She's a fighter. So she's determined. She's strong-willed. Um, and she's larger than life. I mean, she's funny. She's entertaining. She's all of those things. So sometimes... People think about orphans as being timid or shy. This, Sonia is full of energy, 
and life. And so every day when we look at it, we just think about how God will use all of that um, one day for his purpose and his plan. I know a lot of people focus on the faith that it takes to bring an orphan into your home, whether that is financially, energy-wise, waiting-wise, but few people think about how much faith it takes to daily walk out a family once you've adopted. How has God really shown up for you guys in walking out your new family? Well, I I do think that it's just uh, uh, the everyday experience, being able to you know, get through the the fun times, but also the difficult times, to be able to get through those times and just have the realization that, you know, what her past has been, and not to take any of the problems personally, to but but to but to realize that this is something God's given to us because He has trusted us with it. So to be able to react in ways that could build her up and not to focus on ourselves and our own feelings, but rather, rather what she's feeling and what God wants to do with her and what she, how she, she needs to be developed. So it, you know, and that's a challenge. That's a challenge for anybody to do, but it's something that we consciously um, attempt to do every day. Just teaching her and loving her. I mean, of course, our heart's desires are wanted to grow and be a mighty woman of God. And we we believe that, and we want her to demonstrate kindness and, and compassion. So we're rewriting, um, you know, God's using us to help rewrite the script of her life. And so we know that's a, an important stewardship. And so that's what, that's what we pray, and that's what we practice every day. Falling into that pattern of being a good, God-loving family. And as we kind of broaden our view, can you guys talk about orphan care on a global level for a bit? You do such a great job of leading out, um, sending teams, helping teams, and really um, teaching others to care for the orphan, uh, even if they don't feel called to adoption. Um, so just share with me about different opportunities for the everyday person to step into this God work, this God calling. I think the first thing someone can do is just take a, lot, a, a good look at the church, because many times we aren't even aware of some of the ministries that are happening within our church. And if people are filling a tug or a pull this way, just to explore what, what might be possible, whether through mission trips or even things locally. I mean, I know our church is really involved with foster care as well as adoption, but it's just stepping into that space and seeing what's possible. And then if people are thinking, well, broader, what does it mean? Um, I'm a, a huge advocate of the Christian Alliance for Orphans, um, which is often known as CAFO. C-A-F-O, and people can find out more about them at C-A-F-O-K-F-O.org. And what CAFO really is, is that it's, a, it's an, a movement in support of vulnerable children. And there's a lot of emphasis on adoption and on foster care. And it's the coming together of the church, adoption agencies and organizations and people that are generally interested in adopting or feel called to support adoption, um, really just say, I don't know what this means for me, but I want to be involved. 
And for those who may be considering adoption, but they just aren't sure because of some life situation or limitation, what would you say to them? Well, I think the first first step is to gain clarity on what God wants you to do. And I think just, just going to the Scripture um, and knowing that God is, is a father of the fatherless and that we are called to defend the poor and the fatherless, I think that that knowing God's word and His heart, um, just to be to be in that and to strengthen your resolve as as individuals wanting to to adopt, to know that it's in God's will that something like this were to occur. So, I think that's preparing yourself in the word, but but also to seek out as much information as you can through through agencies uh, to know in reality what the process will be and to know what the reality of having a child come into your home is. A lot of people uh, face the, the adoption process with rose-colored glasses. They think that it's going to be easy, that it's um, once I get the child, it's going to be uh, just wonderful. They're going to love you and appreciate everything you've done for them. It's just getting the information and knowing the reality of the situation and that any battle, really, spiritual battle, um, is going to be difficult, and you need God to be there with you. So just to uh, equip yourself with as much information, with with as much and as many verses in the Bible that you can grab a hold of. Uh, again, just to help you to uh, get the resolve to follow through. And for me, what I would say is that start when you're young. I mean, Cammy and I waited because of our life situation. We we waited till we were older to go out on the mission field, but. I'd say get involved early in your life, whether it be some of these simple things like just um, encourage those who are adopting or or giving a little bit of money towards that. But the earlier you can start, I think the more that God can do with your life to carry out His plan for for the those that are weak and those that are underprivileged and those that are fatherless. The step of obedience to adopt Sonia has required a huge amount of faith, but how have you seen God provide for you and equip you on this journey? I think that he, he in his providence, if you are just obedient and say, yes, I will, I will do this, that he will equip you and and give you what you need. And, you know, there are many things in our lives that we're lacking, and it's amazing how God just equips us in the, in the right time to be able to handle this situation, and, and God is good. I think that that's the thing that he will do for you if you get involved. It's just like any kind of parenting, you know, you're, you're going to make mistakes. Things are things may not go exactly the way you want them to be, or you may feel like I am I'm not doing all that I need to do. It's just that constant reminder that there is nothing beyond the grace of God, and that all things really do work together for good. And being able to stand in those promises uh, when you're venturing out on something new, whether it's adoption or whatever, that He fills the gap for us. 
and he sees and, and he knows. And we just need to always stand saying, we know God has got this. And to wrap up today, we've actually asked Dale to say a prayer for couples who are considering adoption, whatever stage of life, and also their role in caring for the orphan worldwide. Lord God, we are just grateful to be involved, Lord, in this process ourselves. And Lord, we we are thankful for this time, for this for this discussion. And we know that there are many out there who are who are considering adoption or being involved in some manner. And we just lift those up to you, that you would touch their hearts, Lord, that you'd give them a revelation as to the joy it is to be in your will. Lord, I'm just grateful to be a part of it, and I'm thankful for what you have done in our lives through adoption. I just pray that you would touch these ones thinking about it, that you would just open the doors that need to be opened, Lord, and to bless their lives in a way that they could not even imagine. Lord, we're thankful for those uh, who step up and are willing to do your will. Well, that is all for today, but please join us next week as we share a special and tender episode, God of All Comfort in the Midst of Miscarriage. Remember, you can get today's show notes, guest bios, and transcript at grahamblanchard.com.